Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I wonder if you've ever noticed how when human beings are faced with the reality and prospect of death, either their own deaths or the deaths of someone whom they care deeply for, that there, it is a rare, a rare person who uh, doesn't invoke some sort of afterlife in order to kind of dial down the, 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 the pain. And when people die, whom we love, it is deeply painful. It doesn't matter, it seems to me, in my experience of ministering to a, a number of people of uh, different uh, beliefs, it doesn't seem to matter how sort of stringent and hardened in your belief that science tells us everything and that there is nothing uh, that we can't touch, feel or, or know through our reason and everything else doesn't matter. No matter how firmly you seem to believe that in the here and now, when that beastly thing called death breaks into your life, cancer diagnosis friend or family passing away suddenly, suddenly there's talk of the afterlife. He's now in the great golf course in the sky with the perfect handicap. How many funerals have you been to where that's been the good news? She's sleeping with the angels. She's one of the stars looking down upon us. He's now in that place where Collingwood always win the premiership. Yeah. <laughs> that might be hell for some people. It's rare, isn't it, in uh, the face of death that people hang on to that cold-hearted belief. And, and I, I've never been to a funeral where people just go, well, that's it, done. No more. Such is life. Death is real. Death is hard to deal with. You know that. I've got no doubt about it. I know that. And the question of death is one that has been troubling people for all time. And it was one that troubled, as John said, that troubled the Thessalonian Christians too. And Paul is seeking to write to them and to tell them that they don't need to worry about those who have died. He says, verse 13, chapter 4, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. It's natural, isn't it? As I've just uh, outlined, it's natural that when we face death, when we face our our own grief, our own bereavement, that we ask questions. What has happened to these people Are they okay? Will I see them again? Thessalonians are asking all these sorts of questions about life and death, uh, but especially as to how that relates to this true fact that one day Jesus is going to come back. 
Uh, it seems that uh, the Thessalonians have got their, uh, their second coming theology a little bit uh, wonky. So you'll remember that uh, Paul's writing this letter, 1 Thessalonians, to the church in, Thessalonic- in Thessalonica, and he's writing to them having had Timothy come back to him and say, hey, even though they've been persecuted, they're still going pretty good for Jesus. But there are a couple of things that Paul's had to address and encourage the Thessalonian church in. And you might remember back in the first half of chapter 4, which we looked at last week, that Paul says this, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's an encouragement to go to work and to uh, make sure that you can provide for yourself. And in the second half of chapter 5 that we'll get to next week, one of the uh, many things that Paul says to the church in sort of closing, in verse 14 of chapter 5, is to warn the idle. And, and scholars think that the, the, these verses and, and the verses that we've got today that we're looking at, in chapter, end of chapter 4, start of chapter 5, uh, seem to suggest that Timothy's come back to Paul and he said... Hey, look, the church in Thessalonica is going good, uh, but they've taken the, 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 the news that Jesus is going to come back one day really super seriously, and they think it's going to happen like literally any moment now. And so some of them are stopping work, thinking, well, Jesus is going to come back, don't need to worry about looking after myself. But also they think, they're thinking, well, we're not going to die. Because we put our faith in Christ, that means eternal life. Jesus will come back and we'll get eternal life. And so now that they're finding that people whom they love are dying, whether through persecution or natural means, we don't know. But this is kind of shocking their their belief system. They can't figure out what to make of it. They don't understand what it all means. As John Stott says, the Thessalonians, as their relative and friends die before Christ returns, they have not anticipated this. It has taken them by surprise and greatly disturbed them. How would the Christian dead fare when Jesus came for his own? Would they stand at a disadvantage? Would they miss the blessing of the second coming? Were they lost? These are the questions that the Thessalonians must have addressed to Paul through Timothy. And so Paul writes our reading today of this section of the letter in order to address these concerns. And in doing so, he reminds us all about the nature of death and what Jesus' return means for that. Verse 14, he tells us, doesn't he, that for the Christian there is something different about death. Verse 14, chapter 4, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul uses three times in this section that word fallen asleep to describe death for the Christian. Because Paul knows that for the Christian it is like another stage of life. It's not the end of life, as we so commonly associate with death, but rather the next phase. And so he uses this sort of 
uh, a, a, a different phrase, fallen asleep, to describe the death for the Christian because they will be brought back to life with Jesus. But there will be people, not the Thessalonians obviously, but maybe us, maybe our children or our grandchildren, there will be people who don't die before Jesus returns. And Paul addresses this in verses 15 to 17. He says, so there's going to be those who die and we believe that God will bring them with Jesus, verse 14. Then verses 15 to 17, for those who remain alive, well, we're going to get caught up in the second coming of Christ and we're also going to be with Jesus and we're going to join with those who have died. It doesn't actually matter. Whether you're alive or dead, when Jesus returns, if you put your faith and trust in him, then you're going to be caught up in the great second coming of the Lord and you will be with him forever, as Paul says at the end of chapter, of verse 17. This is an encouraging truth, isn't it? Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You don't need to uh, mourn over your dead Christian relatives as someone without hope. For you will see them again. We will be with them again if we keep our faith and trust in the Lord because we will all be with the Lord forever when he returns. This is encouraging news. And this is the purpose of Paul's writing for, uh, uh, and describing of, of the return of Christ and, and the joining of the dead and the living together uh, at that return. To encourage us to keep on trusting in Jesus, even in the face of death or other difficulty. Paul's words in verse 18, encourage one another with these words, are a good example of what we should do with the words Paul writes in verses 14 through 17. But there are lots of other things that Christians do with these words. People load these words up with all sorts of crazy speculations about what it means and they try and sort out all the precise details of exactly what it means for the Lord himself to come down from heaven, what the trumpet's going to sound like, which people are going to rise, how that's going to work, Do we, like, what's that going to look like at the graveyards, how, what's going to happen at the columbarium behind the church here, like are they going to puff out with dust and then like... Uh, so like... People spend a lot of time trying to figure this stuff out based on those few words there. That's not what we're to do. And likewise, I guess the the, the other extreme is uh, uh, to to strip his statements of any real meaning as well, as though they're just sort of a, 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 a metaphor about uh, uh, something that's spiritually real but not, not really real. We will somehow kind of be with God somehow. No, Paul here is, is using this kind of end times language, the language of Daniel, the language of Revelation to, to describe true facts 
but in a metaphorical way. Jesus will return. The dead and the living will be joined together and we will spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. You don't need to go and watch that terrible Nicolas Cage movie where he's flying an aeroplane and everyone disappears and he nearly crashes. That, 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 that movie, it's called The Rapture or something, I think. Left Behind, that's what it's called, is literally a movie based on tr- people trying to figure out the precise details of this passage and a few others like it. Now, what we have here is a word of encouragement that through faith in Jesus, whether dead or alive, when he returns, we will be with him. We are to eagerly expect a cosmic event which will include the personal visible appearing of Jesus and the gathering of his people, whether dead or alive, with agnosticism about the full reality, says John Stott, but knowing that it is going to be true. Sorry, with agnosticism about the full reality behind the imagery, but with an acknowledgement that it describes true events. So Jesus will return one day. And if this is the source of our Christian hope in the face of death, then a natural question isn't, is, well, when's this going to happen? And how should I live in the meantime? Uh, as I've mentioned earlier, it, it seems that the Thessalonians maybe have got, gotten a little bit overexcited about this news about the second coming of Christ. They've sort of started operating like overexcited second coming doomsday preppers, uh, giving up uh, kind of everything and bunkering down, uh, ready for the imminent return of Christ. Stopping work, these sorts of things. But Paul gives them and us some helpful instructions for how to live as we wait for the return of Christ. He says we don't know when it will happen, but we do know it will happen suddenly, so we ought to be prepared. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know, verse 2, very well, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, Paul here echoing the teachings of Jesus himself in the Gospels, places like Matthew 24, 42. Therefore keep watch, Jesus says, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. The Bible could not be clearer. None of us know when Jesus will return. All we know is that he will return. And yet... Isn't it amazing the number of Christians in the world who get sidetracked by people telling them, hey, guess what? I know Jesus is coming back. Like, it's the end of the, 20, it's the, end of the 2020s. We're getting into the 2021s now. And I think that means Jesus is going to come back. Because, you know, I've done some maths or something. And all these Christians go, oh... 
good, I can't do maths, I believe you. And then they all gather in a field and they look up in the sky and then they go home. Uh, Because Jesus didn't come back. Particularly if you were alive around the year 2000, like it was like off the tree. People sort of thinking, ah, 2000 years, Jesus is definitely going to come back. But all you need to do is just be a simple student of the scriptures and realise that anyone who comes and tries to tell you the exact time or date is a false prophet. Because about the times and the dates we do not need to write because the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when, but we do know when it does happen, it will be sudden. While people are saying, verse 3 of chapter 5, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Thankfully, I don't have a recent example of what that's like to tell you about yet. But I guess it's uh, the picture there, like one of those Armageddon-style movies where people are just going about their business and then boom! The tidal wave rolls through their house or the meteor smashes down and they were just sort of knitting or whatever and um, it's all over. Sudden. Unexpected for some. But not for the Christian. Because the Christian knows the truth and ought to therefore be prepared. Verse 4, you brothers and sisters are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief in the night. We ought to be ready. And Paul contrasts throughout verses 4 through 10, light and darkness, wakefulness and sleeping, uh, for those who are ready for Christ's return and those who are not. Paul tells the Thessalonians, don't be sleepy, drunk, night dwellers who live in their sin and are totally sidetracked by the whole thing, unexpected. Rather, he says, be awake, alert, sober, living in the light, living out your faith, hope and love. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, since we know the truth, since we follow Jesus, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What does it mean to be a person of the day, a person of the light, a person who is sober? It means to be someone who lives in the light of the second coming of Christ and who is active in the working out of their faith. I think uh, when Paul says, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I think this is another picture we have here of the, the active working out of our faith. Similar to the encouragement we got back at the start of chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Keep on living out your faith. Keep on putting on faith and love and hope. Why? Not to earn your salvation, but because you are people of the light. 
or as Paul puts it in verses 9 and 10, for God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Jesus died for you and for me in order that when he returns, whether we're alive or we've gone to sleep or we've died, we will join with him in eternity if we've kept on day by day being ready for his return by working out our faith, responding to his grace, putting on faith, hope and love. When we put our faith in Jesus, we move from the darkness of sin to the light of Christ. And Paul's encouragement is to continue in that so that we're ready when the light returns, when Jesus comes back to receive the full rewards so that we're not caught off guard. If we belong to the day, our behaviour must be daytime behaviour. So we're encouraged here not to be sleeping our way or yawning our way through the day, not living in our pyjamas but being awake and alert, ready for Christ's return. Well, as Paul rounds out the end of chapter 4, he rounds out this part of chapter 5, again, with the words, encourage each other with this good news. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, verse 11, just as in fact you are doing. In the face of death, in the struggle to keep living your life ready for the return of Christ. Encourage and build one another up. We need to keep loving each other, encouraging each other and helping each other to live lives ready for the return of Christ. And how do we do that? I think it's relatively simple. We do that by continuing to meet together so that we can encourage and build one another up. We do that by sharing our lives with each other, not just being familiar faces who sit sort of two rows back every Sunday, but by getting to know one another so we can invest in each other and encourage one another. By being students of the Word of God together so that we can be sharpened and rebuked and challenged to keep on putting on faith, hope and love. And by praying for ourselves and for each other so that we can be encouraged by God and all that he's doing in our lives. Or as we meet together, as we share our lives, as we study God's word and devote ourselves to prayer, we are living the kind of life that is ready for the return of Christ. Repenting of our sins as God reveals them to us. Loving each other and encouraging one another until Christ comes in glory. If we do these things, we'll be ready for the Lord Jesus' return. And we'll be able to say with confidence and with hope, Come Lord Jesus, we are ready. Hey there. 
Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you're encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. Or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.